Quick question from me and the Making Money team. Would you like us to come into your workplace to teach you and your colleagues more about personal finance? It's an absolute joke that we're not taught what to do with money, and this knowledge gap makes most people much poorer over their lifetimes. Take your work-based pension. Most people have no idea what the fund they're invested in does, and plenty of people just opt out altogether. We can cover whatever is most important, from the basics to complex financial retirement planning supported by qualified financial advisors who are not there to sell you anything. We take different approaches for different people in a company depending on stuff like their age or their income. Anyway, if you think people you work with could benefit from financial education, then please email will at getmost.co.uk so he can explain more. It doesn't matter what your role is in the business, we want to hear from you. So email will at getmost.co.uk. True financial literacy, effective financial literacy is like a silver bullet. Andrew Craig is author of personal finance bestseller, How to Own the World. The stock market is for rich people. Get correlation and causality the wrong way around. When I was 20 years old, I had loads of debt. I wanted to get myself out of that hole and, you know, actually start growing my wealth. But there was always this voice in the back of my head saying, it's not going to happen, Damien. We've equipped people really badly through the education system for so long. I said we were going to take you on a journey to grow your wealth. And you might be thinking, like I did, that that isn't possible. Well, Andrew's here to tell us why it is. Just to do the nuts and bolts and get your finances basically right is no harder than learning how to drive a car. The plan of the podcast really is to take people on a journey through yeah. their finances, you know, and help them understand that they can build wealth yeah. and, and put the steps in front of them that show them potentially how to do that. I think for many, including myself, you are probably the person that put those steps in front of me. I honestly believe that. I think your book is... It's, it features on the top list of most, and it's it's the third edition now. It is, yeah. Self published as well. No, the first edition was the, the first, first and edition. second editions were self published, and the third edition was with a massive publisher. The, like, day, the day I got that call was like it was quite a nice afternoon. <laughs> it's like Chance the Rapper putting out an album and getting a Grammy. I mean, you, you did pretty well off uh, being self published. Yeah. But that book convinced a lot of people that was the book called. How to own the world. <laughs> yeah, at least I, I, I didn't say it. Sorry. I, I, it's like, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I, it's like I almost so assume well. because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know, so, I know yeah. it so well. Yeah, how yeah. to own the world. Yeah. In the book, you deal with the concept of being rich. And I think that's where I want to start today because rich mm. is this very big abstract term. Yeah. What is your definition of rich? Because it's different to other people's. I, I can't remember whether I actually wrote it in the book, but my basic idea is that you get to a point, I think I did say this a bit, you where you can, you can live on your money on your capital rather than on your labor, on your work. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, how I unpack that is obviously we've had a system actually since sort of basically in the UK since 1909, that's when we invented the pension. And you know, most people are vaguely familiar with what the idea of a pension is, but the yeah. idea of a pension is that you're now living on your capital so you don't have to work anymore, so mm -hmm. you can retire. And the big picture, if you, if you take a step back from that and, and th sort of think about it more deeply, I guess rather than just think about a pension, that that's actually being wealthy, especially if you're able to achieve that by say, you know, your thirties or your forties or your fifties, rather than say your sixties or your seventies. And even more importantly, you need to achieve it because you know you don't want to be eighty-five and still having to work. Um, and and so that was a big part of what informed me wanting to write the book was that it's really important to people to think about wealth as just being that, just being free to live on your capital, not not on having having to work. Um, and then, okay, so then the next question is what steps do you take in order to get to that point, right? Yeah, and I think the pension point as well, there's been a shift even in our lifetimes mm. where there's almost a reliance on the state. Yeah. And then it was, well, my company will provide. Yeah. And now it's actually, no, the book 
is with you. Like yeah. it's your responsibility yeah. to save for your retirement. And the, the reason that the state pension is almost a nice to have now versus yeah. what it was in the past, which was almost guaranteed quality of life. For years. And, yeah. and the other point there is the demographic change is that, so in 1909, when we created the pension system, average life expectancy in the UK was 47. Yeah. And it was for people over the age of 70. And now most scientists are telling us that, you know, if you go to a classroom today and talk to a group of kids, most of those kids will live to 100 yeah. or, or past 100. But if they want to stop working at 55 or 60, that mean, that implies they've got 40 years to fund and so it's, and at the same time, the actions of governments and central banks for the last kind of 50 years or so have caused all this inflation that's now coming home to roost. And without wanting to sound too smug, if you read the book, you know that I was writing about that 10 years ago. Yeah. Right? And it's now all beginning to, the, the cracks are beginning to appear in that system. And it's partly because of that demographic bulge. It's the fact that, you know, people, the, the actions of governments have meant that inflation is much higher. Interest rates have been kept too low for too long. But what does that actually mean for people? It means, yeah, you really need to sort out the fact that you might want to fund yourself for like 40 or 50 years if you want to retire at 60 and live to like 110, which you might be able to. It's, that, it's like the realization of you're going to be out of work longer than you were in it, but you're yeah. not saving half your income. So yeah. how do you expect to maintain this quality of life now yeah. out of work, essentially? And, and that, so in the book, I describe that as the bad news, right? Yeah. And, and, but the countervailing good news, which hopefully, you know, we come on to or whatever, and like certainly it was a big part yeah. of the book is that for a couple of really key structural reasons, there are ways of beating that reality. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe we come on to, you know, the, the power of compound interest. The fact, so I use this example of, if somebody can put £5,000 into an account the day a child is born, like if you're lucky enough to have like a great Aunt Agatha or whatever, if that can return 10% per annum from the day that the child is born to when they're 55 years old, which in the UK is the first time you can legally retire, with no further investment, just a one-off investment of £5,000, they'll have 945 grand on their 55th birthday. Because after year one, it's 5,500 and after year two, it's 6,050 and on and on and on. So I just had a kid. What would I have to put that into? Junior that sounds pretty good. Yeah. So, so, well, the, the, so the next question is, come on, mate, interest rates are nothing. Yeah, how's it going to be said, How on earth are you going to make yeah. 10%? And the very simple answer to that is since January the 1st, 1872, not 1972, 1872, to the end of last year, uh, um, the return of equities, of shares, of the US stock market was just over 9%. So, okay, I'm using 10% as an example, just mathematically it's easier. But broadly, if you'd invested in American shares consistently from the, the time your kid is born to the time your kid's 55, that's the sort of return they're going to achieve. Now, the next challenge to that is, okay, well, the first challenge is nobody can make 9%. Well, that's just wrong because you can by investing in shares. And the next challenge is, okay, but if inflation's 10%, you're actually losing real wealth, so it kind of doesn't matter. It's a one-off shock though, rather well, than- Exactly. So the, my broad point is that over a lifetime, and let's call a lifetime 0 to 55, just for the sake of argument, there'll be times where inflation's really high, there'll be times where inflation's lower, that you can't really legislate for that. But, as long, but it just means that you really have to be doing something to be making a real return. So a return that's above inflation. And so if you've got a kid, yeah, you can use a, a junior ISA yeah. where you can shelter about £9,000 from, from any capital gains tax. So all the profits your kid makes, you get to keep. And then just invest in the stock market or a stock market. What about people who aren't as lucky as my kid who aren't going to have 5000 from the day they're born? Someone like me, 35 years old, um, say I haven't invested any, I have a little bit, but say I haven't yeah, invested yeah, anything. Yeah. How am I going to make it to retirement without being homeless and broke and having no heating in the winter? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a really tough question. And, and one of the... One of the hardest things I have is I have 
you know, a lot of really kind people sending me lovely messages saying, I really enjoyed your book, but there's not much I can do when a 70 year old sends me a message saying, oh my God, I wish I'd read this like 50 years ago. What am I going to do? Um, and it's tough, you know, that, that because we've equipped people really badly through the education system for so long, like nobody talks about, nobody, you know, most people with economics degrees, let alone maths teachers at a primary school have a really fundamental solid grasp of how to do this stuff, you know, and that's part of our mission. But so, but I mean, I guess the answer is if you, if you have got to that, sadly, the, the harsh reality is you're going to have to figure out how to earn more and you're going to have to really be on a crash course about financial affairs and figuring it out. But, you know, what we and hopefully your audience, you know, hopefully most of our audience, people who might watch this will be young enough to kind of make a difference. Because I always say, basically, if you've got at least 20 years and you start getting the the pieces in place and doing a good job, that is more than enough to do a really good job. And that's good news. But yeah. also to, to like... You know, a positive spin on that. If you're living mm. longer, you, you can you can work longer into retirement, can't you? So if you are 55, thinking, oh god, you might just go, well, actually, I just push it back a little bit. A 75 year old scientist who's still really got their wits about them has had 50 years of like study and reading and you know scientific work and everything else. So in many ways, you know, as the world hopefully improves, I mean, the other big thesis you might know that I'm all about is actually the world's the best it's ever been and it's getting better. Mm. Um, and I, I think you can evidence that quite empirically. And it's a real tragedy. One of the biggest kind of, if you like, the, the bigger pandemic for me today is a pandemic of negativity. Yeah. Is that everyone's Especially looking in the, the world UK. going, yeah, and the UK is terrible for that. Exactly. Actually, you know, on every measure that matters, peace, wealth, longevity, you know, leisure, travel, the fact that you can go and there are football stadiums and beach bars. I mean, it sounds a bit spurious, but the world is so much better than how grindingly cold and dangerous it was in like 1900 or 1800 or 1700. Um, and I think as the world changes and improves, there's a chance that we have sort of new economic models where, you know, engineers and biotech entrepreneurs and writers and scientists or whatever, actually the best years of your life in terms of your earnings power might be from 70 to 90 if you're still fit and healthy. Um, that that could make a difference. So I guess to the answer to your question, if you know, if you're 50 and you haven't quite sorted out, well, just try and keep healthy and fit and 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 add value. How do you end up saving when like everything is getting more expensive and wages aren't going up in the same yeah. rate as every cost of living? Well, I mean, the, our very simple shtick is if you save and invest 10% of what you earn every month from the minute you earn it, whether you're working in a bar and you're 22 or you've just been paid a huge bonus and you're 60 and a lawyer or you know whatever, where and all points in between. If everybody just saves, learns enough about financial services and investment basics of capital markets to feel, because crucially to feel confident, like they're not scared. The, the reason that people don't do this is because they feel scared they'll yeah. lose it. And yeah. there's that well, misunderstanding. But, but, yeah, but once you have yeah. a certain understanding of comfort and the spectrum of financial products and how you can use, you know, if you spread your assets sensibly and you just, and also the merits of investing every month, if you do that over time, right, right now is a tricky time for sure. Anybody who's been doing that for 10 years is in a much, much better position than somebody who hasn't, right? But equally, because as I said, it doesn't, I don't want it to sound too trite. If you haven't, okay, so at the moment, you know, you just have to button down, put your head down, try and find some savings where you can. Perhaps you can't save. Although I would say we always go back to the fact that a lot of the um, stockbroking platforms in the UK let you invest 25 quid a month. That's kind of your entry ticket, right? Now, there are... Um, online robo-advisor type outfits that are even lower numbers than that, but they then they're quite expensive as a percentage of yeah. what you're investing. Um, but basically, you know, if if you can just keep the habit going of like 25 quid a month or 50 quid a month through times like this into sensible investments, just ignore it, comes off the top of whatever you're earning every month. When things get better and the economy is better, then you can do a bit better than that. 
And then over time through, and again, I go back to this over a lifetime of investing, sometimes, you know, the markets will be great and, and the economy will be great and employment prospects will be great sometimes. And, and the other thing is, it's all about the long term. But I think, um, it, you know, the record of at least two centuries is that if you just keep, if you kind of put your fingers in your ear and shut your eyes and just try and save and invest a bit every month in a global sense of a way over a lifetime, it will work. But a lot of people think it's like a rich, poor, th poor thing. They're like, oh, I don't have enough money to invest. It's only for like wealthy people. Yeah. What would you say about that? Because, so that, so that because I know some rich people who are terrible with investment. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Money. My parents never told me about investing. Like lots of people in that generation, they just put the money in the bank. So how, how do you like? So the first thing to say, so, so that is a classic sort of, oh, the stock market is for rich people. Yeah. Gets correlation and causality the wrong way around. No. The, the people who know about the stock market are far more likely to be rich. So there's a great book called The Millionaire Next Door, which is basically like most, empirically, most of the millionaires are in America are normal people who just invested in the stock market. They drive a Prius, and, I think, is the most common car. Well, so, yeah, and, but, but it, even that, some of them will drive a Mercedes, right? Yeah. But, the, but the difference between them and the man next door or woman next door is just that they are making 1% a month or whatever over 30 or 40 years. And by the time they're sick, I mean, it's like the Microsoft secretaries. That's a slightly esoteric example, but you know, a secretary who just got a bit of Microsoft stock and 40 years later, they're a millionaire. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, it's about people who are just sensible about property, save and invest 10% each month. They're sensible about getting into the stock market and they let it run for years and years and years. Um, and so, so, so it's really, it's, it's not for rich people. It's that if you learn about, and never more so than today where the, like the market doesn't care who you are, or what your education about, and the market does not care, right? It, all, all it cares about is that you, you're willing to get a little bit of knowledge to kind of get get stuff sorted. I worked for a debt management company and I would speak to people all the time that were earning a lot of money that were skin. Yeah. Were footballers yeah. that would call in earning 20, 30 grand a week and be like paycheck to paycheck because they'd taken out so much unsecured debt yeah. because there was no influence in their bubble. It's like you could you could have given them more and more money and they would have still had the same yeah, problem. problem yeah, Whereas yeah. every every example you've given is there's like a positive influence there that kind of steers it the right yeah. way. And I, I guess is that why you wrote your book in a way? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it, we're very mission driven. You know, that, yeah. I, I mean, I see this, I see true financial literacy, effective financial literacy is like a silver bullet is what, how to describe it for individuals because everybody every individual who sorts it out, it's life-changing. It makes it life so much easier, right? But it's, it's actually much more than that because I think one of our big biggest problems as a society is this because it causes untold misery. It causes violence. It causes divorce. It causes, you know, it, it, crime, right? I mean, you've never had it so good in terms of your access to online, you know, apps and online training accounts and you can do it yourself, and then the next question is, okay, but it seems really daunting and scary, but, uh, you know, my book's not the only book yeah. that will get you from sort of A to B, but it but it, it does a half-decent job, I like I think at think. the time it was written, it was one of the one only of the, books that yeah. spoke in a modern language. Right. You know, that, that's why I think it was so powerful for people well, at the time. Like, um, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's still, um, it still makes, you know, I'm British. I'm like, oh, thank you very much. You know, but <laughs> but um, no, but it's still lovely to hear. But, but um but I guess, you know, yeah, you know, I, I, if, if I, it's a very politically incorrect thing to say, but I was thinking about it this morning. So people say, oh, finance is really scary and, and complicated and stuff. But the average British man as a state, I reckon if he went and empirically interrogated this, the average British man knows probably a hundred, if not a thousand times more data points about the Premier League than he does about like the, what is the S&P 500 or the, and it's like, 
you know, it, learning about finance is no harder than having that sort of encyclopedic knowledge about football or whatever, you know, but, but people have a mental block. They're like, oh no, that's got to be harder because it's finance. And we always talk about it being no harder to, to do, like to become a massively successful hedge fund manager is different, right? But just to do the nuts and bolts and get your finances basically right is no harder than learning how to drive a car. The only other thing I'd say about that is what we're all about or I'm all about is it's just that 10%. It's the sort of step one because there's tons of other stuff you can do as you get older and wealthier and learn more and get more interested. But just, you know, whether it's crypto or whatever else it is, but there's the step one that too few people do. And if I may just make, sort of unpack that a bit, and that's investing, not trading. Yeah. And that's another really important distinction. I think so much of the zeitgeist online, TikTok influencers and all this stuff mm -hmm. is very focused on trading. trading. Like, oh, I finally learned about the stock market and now I'm going to be a stock market trader or I'm mm -hmm. going to trade FX or I'm going to, what? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about investing, which is, you know, same thing every month. It's got a 200 year track record of working. It's how most people in the world who are rich became rich. Trading is a for is a for is an inappropriate activity for most people. It's much harder, and they're two completely different things. So just to be very clear, everything I'm saying is is about investing, which is slow, repetitive, and that's that. Learning how to become a trader is probably a degrees worth of knowledge to reliably do it well. Learning how to do the investing bit is no harder than learning how to drive a car. To, uh, to my yeah, I get analogy. traders messaging me on LinkedIn every day saying, do you want to make 700 pounds a day working from home? I can help you learn how to trade. Buy my course or I'll teach you. And well, the, the immediate question is, if you're such a good trader, why do what? you need to charge me 700 quid? And why are you messaging me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just be trading. But, there, but that's the, but you know, the, I, I would like, I flatter myself saying most people who read my book will never fall for that nonsense. Yeah. That like, because that, they'll be like, mm, what? You know, and, <laughs> but and, so, that, that having been said, just to, just to sort of set the record straight on that, I mean, there are some very, very talented, good people who are trading professionals, who are teaching bona fide skills. The trouble is disaggregating who are those ones and who are, you know, they're very rare. <laughs> yeah. They're very rare, right? But even those people, one of the biggest problems with them is, one, the methodologies they teach, they'll say, oh, you can learn how to do this in five minutes a day. You might be able to do it in five minutes a day if you've already been doing it for five years, like anything else, right? If you're starting out, it's not going to take you five minutes a day. It's going to take you hours and hours a day until you figure it all out and you know how to do charts. And you know, you know, there's a lot to learn. Like as I said, like a degree's worth. Um, and the other thing is, oh, you can start with as little as 100 quid. If you to spend hours of your time every week looking at charts and doing all this stuff and make it actually worth your while in absolute terms and absolute amounts of money, you need quite a lot of money to begin with. Yeah. Because otherwise you're going to be risking too much capital. So this idea, you know, it's one of the biggest rookie errors I see all the time is like somebody with two grand going, right, I've got two grand. I've just paid somebody 1500 quid to teach me how to become a great trader. And now I'm going to invest the other 500 and become a millionaire. It's like, no, that's just like completely the wrong approach. And sadly, I mean, well, I feel a bit self-conscious saying that because quite a few people watching this might have done that. And yeah, we've got, you know, we have to learn, don't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Learn, yeah. Can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. Yeah. yeah, well, that's it. Couldn't someone say though, yeah, but you worked as a finance professional. You, you know, you dressed half stock broker, half not, as you said, when you came. Yeah, yeah, Couldn't yeah, they point yeah. to that and go, well, you're from a different world. Like, is there a time in your life before you are who you are today where you say you got that financial education or? I think, yeah, I mean, yes, to be honest, because I'm a, a, weird, a weird geek. Who, my, my dad used to make me read The Economist when I was like 10. Right? Did he? I hope he doesn't watch this. He'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> go around telling people that. But, I mean, no, no, we, we were a bit weird. A 10-year-old like, could grasp it. 
Which, uh, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it was certainly. I used to find a lot of it very boring, right? Mm. And it, gradually it got more interesting. But but as I got older, but I don't know. I think if you'd given me my book when I was seventeen, if somebody had asked written and given it to me when I was seventeen, I would have been able to assimilate that and use it. Right? I agree, but people are always pointing towards, well, you're different or this is different. I get it. I'm you know I, I come I'm from the north of England, and people will still say, oh, you 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 come from a different world to me. <laughs> now, yeah. now that I'm a big YouTuber, that's what they say. They're like, yeah. oh, you you don't get it. You probably yeah. earn ten x what yeah, yeah. we do, and they don't. And everybody always overestimates what everybody earns anyway. Right? Yeah, you yeah. Know? And when I was putting fifty quid a month into an index fund in my twenties, that that's what's got me to here. Right, right. Know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like and, it did, and it did, and it did, right? And that's it worked. That's exactly what's got right. me to yeah, it. When yeah. you're saying do it for ten years and you'll change you'll your be life, amazed. that's completely what I did. I, I, do you know, you know what? I, honestly, I love hearing because at times like this, even I lose the faith a bit, right? You know, it's like, oh, the market's down. No, you got to stick. But it's just always is great to hear that it's actually worked for people. No, hugely. I mean, obviously, the, the market was kind over the last ten hmm. years, but we didn't. I didn't know that as yeah, such yeah, as yeah. a beginner. I didn't know like this is the best bull market at the time. Can you guess what the biggest learning has been from doing this podcast or even my YouTube channel? It's that the most important investment you can make is in you. So for me, my path to real wealth isn't through investing, it's by building this business. And that's why I'm happy that we're working with Hostinger. Hostinger help entrepreneurs, freelancers and side hustlers with their websites. My favourite thing is their AI website builder, which helps anyone create a professional website with zero coding experience. You just describe your goal in a couple of sentences and the AI creates a beautiful looking website just like magic. You can then customise it, use the AI assistant to generate SEO friendly text and even use their AI logo maker. It's fast, user friendly and of course what I like the best is it's great value for money. You can get website hosting in a free domain from £2.99 a month. So if you want a website, then check out Hostinger. And if you use the code making money, that's making money all one word, you'll get 10% off. And I've left a link in the description for you. Before I became a creator, I was a sales guy. I mean, I love selling. It's how I rebuilt my life after some wrong turns in my 20s. I also delivered Chinese takeaways on the side, but that was more fun money so I could go out on a night without feeling guilty. Sales was where the real money was at. And one tool that I found really useful was LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It's a sales intelligence platform that helps you identify and then get into conversations with high value customers so you can drive more revenue. You can use it to look for key signals like recent job changes, so you can find buyers who are most likely to convert. And because they've got a billion people on the platform, I mean, the chances are your targets are going to be on LinkedIn. Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data so you can get into conversations with the people that matter. So if you want to give Sales Navigator a try, you can get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash upsell. That's linkedin.com slash U-P-S-E-L-L for a 60-day free trial. That's the other insight. Monthly, every month, without fail. It's the same thing so, to the long side. So it's easy. You yep. sleep at night and it's got a massive like track record of probabilistically increasing your returns. And that, that's one of the most the problematic things at the moment, particularly because of the crypto. The fact that crypto is unregulated means that any Muppet can get up in lights and go, do this, do that in crypto, right? When they, work, ask him to check, it, crypto, check out his right, socks. Right. Check out his socks. Oh, can I put them on? Yeah, yeah, you get okay, them, them on cover right now. Look at this. Look at the state of that. But, but this, that's <laughs> But but the point, look, crypto isn't necessarily an unalloyed bad. Let's be clear. Yeah, right? I mean, and, and you know it is. And then there's blockchains, interesting and else. But what, yeah. 
But my point is just that because it's unregulated, uh, where, you know, if, if I stand up and say, you must invest in this thing, you'll make 100% a year, I can go to prison yeah. as an FCA regulated person. I am massive fine and spend seven years in jail, right? And all my stuff's recorded and six years from now, the FCA could knock on my door and go, that conversation you had on that date in, you know, March 2019, pull the tapes, we want to hear what you said. Like, it's, the oversight is intense. Nobody, nobody in crypto to protect people exactly yeah. nobody in crypto has that oversight which means that people in crypto can say ridiculous dishonest things and I'm not saying everyone in crypto does mm -hmm. but a lot of people in crypto do because all they care about is they're making a lot of money my friend just lost a lot of money in right. FTX right, right. right. Yeah. I mean, and that, and and that, that was, was like meant to be yeah, exactly. and he was doing that like, like we but, say but, every month putting in a lot though right. and he was looking forward to like having that when he retires, and, and that, but that's even, and that, it's all gone. FTX is like was one of the Rolls Royce. Yeah, they were like the blue they're the Goldman Sachs of crypto exactly. for, until they were more like right? Bernie Madoff. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. but the, the the fact that they've been able to do that means that you've seen a generation of people who are finally getting interested in finance, which is great. Um, and then they're going straight past all the stuff that's worked for two hundred years that you've just. You're yet another person saying it works. Yeah, like well, your personal experience works, and they and they're saying no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to trade crypto. I want to be in crypto groups on Facebook every day and buy this in the morning and sell that in the afternoon. That's a tragedy. But do you know why? Because in school, no one taught us about investing or taxes mm. or any of the important things they teach yeah, you about yeah. geography and stuff, which is yeah. useful. But yeah. like, yeah, what's more important, geography or investing? And then, but crypto, you see on YouTube, you see on yeah, Instagram, people, yeah, yeah. oh, I've made loads. This is yeah, how you yeah, do yeah. it. This, how, and then you're getting the education that. We really should have got in school with investing. 100%. But you're seeing people make money in crypto and you think, oh, it must be easy because this 20 year old's done it, this this yeah. guy's done it, and this guy's done it. And then you get in and you don't know what you're doing and you lose all your money. It does it, blow my mind that like an average return of 9% for 200 years is not sexy enough for people. You know, the broader point is if you want to sleep at night, you don't need to make super, you just, that 9% you just alluded to, like that will get you a really good result. I mean, I'm, um, I'm from a council estate in Birmingham, single mm. mother family. So by the definition of like, not rich, normal, all of that, mm. I invested consistently for 10 years. And if I wanted to now, just off the back of that effort, mm. when working a, a sales job, I could not work for five to 10 years yeah. if I wanted to. Which means you can be an entrepreneur. Yeah, which, which is means, exactly what I did. Right. I quit my job yeah. to become full-time YouTuber that, and now I've five, 10 x my income off the ability to have that, take that the risk. Space, the I space, didn't need time. the income. That, that's yeah. right. But, but, in, but the time factor is so important because again, it goes to people who are impatient, right? Like that took you 10 years, yeah. you just said, right? But, but life's a marathon, not a sprint. We're hoping that this podcast can be like, you know, the driving course for, for our listeners in yeah. terms of teaching them how to progress through finances in that way. I've known Tomain here for about 10 years and for the whole lifetime of that friendship, I've said, get an ISA and put some stocks and shares in it. Mm. He hasn't. So he can see, you can see the difference. Yeah. That's, why you're, yeah. that's why you're in crypto. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. trying to catch up, mate. I'm yeah. honestly yeah, yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, catch yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to take a little, little shortcut. Yeah, I'm here in my, my plain black socks and he's got the crypto. No, they, they, but, but there are, in any, again, a lifetime investment, you know, crypto... Obviously, if you bought Bitcoin at 400 and it's yeah. still still laughing, right? And I personally believe biotech is going to be a really, really exciting field just because of the science and the value that's going to create um, across the piece. But there, there will be these, there's a British billionaire called Jim Mellon, a brilliant man. He calls them money fountains, right? But to engage with and have a crack at a money fountain, you first need a sort of nuts and base. bolts stuff yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's what's so kind of exciting about it. Because if you do exactly what you've said you've done, mm. Exactly the position you're in today. But at some point, you could you will have the wherewithal 
the capital to go, actually, I'm really quite excited about some of this man's crypto stuff. There you go. He slags it off, but he's made money. Got, and he's still holding it. And he's still buying. He's, he's a punch bag. But, but, that, <laughs> but, like, but I got but, 1% but, allocation. Yeah, but there you go. 1%. Yeah. I was about to say 10%. But like, you know, and so we were just trying to launch a biotech fund, which sadly we didn't, it didn't come off in the original shape we wanted it to, but hopefully it will in another. But, you know, what should people put into that kind of stuff? Well, I would say not more than 10%. And that's my, that's, I'm the sales guy. It's my product. Like, you know, why would, why would I mean, how many salespeople go, no, no, only put 10%. Yeah. How many crypto people And borrow money on your credit cards. I mean, like, yeah. but, but, but it's, but again, it, this all comes back to, if you've l- read a book like mine or just learned that enough to learn how to drive a mount about finance, you'll be able to see through all of that stuff. You'll basically say, well, what's the right thing for me to do? Save and invest 10% of my income every month, do something with it in a tax-efficient account. And the preeminent one of those in the UK we're very lucky to have is the ISA. Yeah. Okay, step one, done. You know, whatever, 50 quid, 100 quid, whatever you can afford, into an ISA every month and stop and just let that happen. And then all these other things, you know, if you have that nuts and bolts and you basically understand what is the stock market, what's the purpose of it, why, how do companies, all that stuff that we've talked about, which sounds daunting, but actually, if you reduce it all back down, it isn't that much. You can also sort of spot bullshit. I can't. Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, yeah. I should have asked you. I'm going to say yes, yeah. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, BS. Yeah, <laughs> that's the re-edit. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but but you, you know, you get much better at knowing. You know, like like not getting taken for a ride, and 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 as I, in, without wanting to do down crypto excessively, but. The idea that somebody goes from knowing nothing about finance, let's say at age 25, to trading crypto mm-hmm. is like somebody walking into a judo or karate dojo, whatever it's called, and, uh, on, on. Yeah, and going, right, come on, I'm going <laughs> to fight the black belt on day. It's like madness. Well, one thing I will say, though, I feel like a lot of people, like you said, don't invest because they're scared or they don't know. I first started investing in commodities because I was working in commodities. Yeah. I've never worked in stocks and shares, worked in commodities. Mm. The stocks and shares I have bought have just been like random ones, like a bit of Facebook, a bit of Tesla, like you yeah. say, but I haven't done any funds. And now obviously I've been working in crypto for two years, so I understand it more than most people. Yeah. I've still taken some losses, but I've made a bit. So mm. I think people, like you said, you need the confidence. So I worked in commodities for like three years. I invested in gold, uh, yeah. precious metals, yeah. fine wine in France, those sorts of things. Um, so really, if someone wants to get started, they're like, okay, let me get on this journey. Mm. Where's the best place for them to start? Apart from buying your book, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. Where's the best place for them to start? If they're like, okay, there's ISIS, there's bonds, there's so much going yeah, on. Yeah, well, what, but, where should I start? But the, the, the first thing is distinguish between accounts and asset classes, right? So an account is just like a, your current account at your bank. You put your, everyone's familiar with that, right? Yeah. 99% of people. So, so the next accounts to think about are an ISA. And all an ISA is is the government saying, you can put a certain amount of money in each year and we're not going to tax it. That's all it is. Yeah. It's like a current account, but it just has that tax benefit. And then the next one is the pension, which is a bit more complicated. And so we'll, let's leave that for now. But I always think not for young people, particularly ISA is a good place to start. So, you, so that's the account. What you then put in the account is the assets. And those assets are cash. And then, as you say, the stock market, commodities, and then basically um, bonds are a type of cash. So it's another interest rate product. And then real estate. Once you know what those things are, like what is the stock market? What is the bond market? Most people know what cash is. But cash and bonds are related. Basically stuff that pays you an interest rate, ideally. Commodities, which is... You know, we most people know broadly what you know, oil and gold, gold oil, and gold, oil, gas, silver, and yeah, um, exactly. Um, 
And and then real estate. Now, most people, anybody who owns their own home probably doesn't need to think about real estate in their ISA because they already have a massive exposure to real estate, right? If you're very wealthy, you might want additional, you might want exposure to commercial real estate or real estate that's over, like Asian real estate or whatever. Or because financial products today are the best they've ever been in history, you've got your ISA account. You can put anything you want in it. But to, but it, how, but to do, but start simply. And my view is, um, and obviously I've written about this at length. Is the way to start simply is broadly to just have the stock market. Is that owning the world? Yeah, well, that's what exactly market. the reason. It sounds almost like dictatorship. Yeah, 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 exactly. The reason like it's called how to own the world is because yeah. what is the world? Well, it just means how to own stuff from all over the world geographically yeah. and different stuff. So you know, I'm not explaining it. But I'm normally much better at explaining. But, right but no, but, the, but 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 basically the re and the reason for that. Let's just be clear about the reason for that is. A key thing we're trying to remove is any thought process around trying to predict the future, because that's a, kind of a mugs game. You, you can get good at that if you're very smart and spend a lot of time. You don't need to do that to achieve. That's another point, right? And so, if you're not going to try and predict the future, what do you do? You just own everything from everywhere. And the reason for that is because in a year like 07, 08, 09, stock markets fell by 50%. They halved, but gold went up 20% and oil hit an all time high, right? So, there's this sort of seesaw effect. And people will think, well, that all just that goes away to porridge, right? If you're just investing in everything, it's going to be a rubbish. Like putting a bet on every number on the roulette table. Exactly. There's an element of it being like that, except for the fact that the world is growing and progressing scientifically. So if you own the world, you know, that's why US equities return 9% annualized, come back to 1872, because the world hasn't quite been getting 9% better, but it kind of almost has. When you think about, you know, go back to 1872, basically, there were railways, but not not in China or Japan. You know, there were there were no aeroplanes. There were the shipping industry was very different. There were no skyscrapers. Like just think how much wealth, and there were no smartphones. There were you know, so so that that's what you're investing in, and you're just trying to capture it in the most low risk, elegant, simple way possible. And so so yeah, if you basically own the states, Europe and Asia, and then the major asset classes, so property, commodities, the stock market and cash, it all comes out in the wash and you you have a sort of proxy on owning. So the most important investment theme in history is human progress. Yeah, that the world's going to keep spinning. We live in a capitalist society. It would probably be quite a good idea to actually understand capitalism. And most people don't. Yeah, it's like- Which is kind of a tragedy. For, it's a tragedy for them. As my, and for society more broadly. It always surprises me that people give up 75% or, you know, most of their waking day to go to work they, for money. They get the money and then they just go, what? Like, yeah, yeah. And, 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 don't, and don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't, don't know, know the history of it, why it's invented, mm. what its purpose it serves. It's just, to most people, it's such an, and we, obviously I cover all of that in the book as well. Like, what, what is it? Why was it invented? It, what, what, what's good about it? What's morally, you know, there's, a, there's an ethical case for money. And I think, you know, the, the problem is we rail against these things. A lot of people rail against these things because they'd never studied it in any, you know, and they don't understand it. But it makes life more interesting and it makes life easier. Yeah, it makes things make sense, like you say. You know, when you mm. go in and spend in £10 in a business, you think, oh, gee, I own a bit of this business. It becomes, it's like betting on the football as such. <laughs> people say, oh, it spices it up a bit. Yeah, Once it, you that, understand that's exactly things, right. But, that's and, and, and that's it. And you're invested in the world. Yeah. You know, it's not because that's interesting. You're right. Like if, yeah. if you know, you're watching a football match and you could win a hundred quid if it goes the right way, that does spice it up. Yeah. A lot of people who start on this journey kind of, they just fall into it gradually and they start investing every month. I mean, firstly, you start 
generating wealth, yeah. which is quite exciting. Yeah. And secondly, you start putting pieces together that you actually find really thrilling mm. and the world just becomes more interesting. Yeah. And you become a sort of happier, friendlier, more chilled mm. out person because you're not so worried about money anymore. And like, it, you know, I mean, like, and it's sort of the opposite to the view that a lot of people have of capitalism, right? It's money is the root of evil, all evil, yeah. which to me is the biggest fallacy ever. Yeah. That thing though, like, you become a happier, more chilled out, interested in the world person from mm. doing 50 quid a month for yeah. five to 10 years. That is like, it sounds silly, but it's true. But it's true. And it, uh, I've and done it. it. You've done it. Yeah. And I love hearing it. And it's true because when do you become chill out? When you have freedom of choice, right? And so exactly what you just said, you were able to stop, support yourself for long enough to make a career change. What's one of the chief causes of unhappiness for most people is they hate their job and they hate yeah, their boss and they're stuck. And they can't leave because, stuck. yeah. Money exactly. doesn't make you happy. It's the ability to choose what you do. Freedom. And, and you get that with a bit of cash behind Correct. you, right? And that, and that, but that goes back to your point to unpack that further is money doesn't make you happy if you are those footballers we were talking about yeah. who have lots of money, but they haven't learned, they've then just pissing it all away yeah. and feeling and haven't therefore attained the security, which is what does make you happy yeah. and the peace of mind. Yeah. And this is part of like, if you learn all this stuff and you get financial surplus, if you've learned this stuff, you're much more likely to put it away instead of just spend it on lifestyle creep, right? Um, and I, look, if you want to have a sports car or a Gucci handbag or, you know, whatever floats your boat, that's fine as long as it's X percent of your wealth, not borrowing or, you know, mm. and, and we've got a real problem that people have this lifestyle creep and don't think like that, I think. And I think part of the reason for that is, because most people find the whole thing so difficult and boring and scary. They're like, why wouldn't I spend the money? You know, if you, if you are excited about investing because you can see the results that it delivers for you, you're more likely to do it and want to save money. I go too far the other way though. He was rinsing me about my shoes because my <laughs> shoes are falling apart. Yeah, like, I say this guy's got all these index funds and yeah, 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 yeah. global yeah, funds, so but his shoes are talking to him. Literally talking. <laughs> Do you know this guy, Mr. Money Moustache? I, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the Tim Ferriss podcast interview with him is really good and really well worth listening to. Oh, he's the um, the fire, fire guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's Extreme the one he's like, fire. Yeah. exactly like everything's in a bicycle and he buys mm. organic beans and soaks them, you know, all yeah. that stuff. And exactly, but but to me, life's about being happy, right? But I think life's about being happy once you've thought more deeply about what will actually make you happy. And a lot of people do stuff, to your point, they go out and buy a Gucci handbag or they do all this stuff that they're not psychologically or philosophically enlightened enough to understand that will not actually make them happy. And they're just doing what everyone else They go to the club, does. buy a bottle of champagne, and then like the next day they're eating like baked beans out of a yeah. tin. But they're like, oh, I got the coolest Instagram picture. Yeah, it's like, exactly. But you can't afford to do that. And, and, so. and I think, you know, that I don't know how we combat that. I mean, you know, grumpy old men like us can sit around <laughs> and talk about it. It's bloody terrible, you know. But but I've but, but, but research around money scripts. No. Is it Bradley Conson, the money scripts? So this is like the psychological... It basically argues that that we form these scripts as a young child, right. it, and they're, they're ba the brain's they're way fixed. of processing. Yeah. Well, they're fixed to a point, but they normally form around trauma. Yeah. And you know, the money status script to people that seek um, validation through luxury items, yeah. typically because they felt at some point like ostracized yeah. because and they haven't had that. They didn't have it. They yeah. went to school yeah. and they had a holes in their shoes, yeah, and everyone yeah, took yeah. the mick. And now they lean yeah. on luxury goods. Yeah. And it's not to. It's like they they have these. Ex displays of wealth basically to make themselves feel good yeah. so it's like if you can have those conversations with people en masse and say like you know are you doing this because of this maybe but, then they can start to so, go, so okay. there's a brilliant book called the psychology of money yeah I know, right? yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and he he's there's yeah. a lot of that sort of content and i think that's right but i think 
ultimately our our job as a, as an individual i think and i don't want to get too sort of pretentious or philosophical now but is you know is to work on all that stuff is to work on early trauma as you get older and for your own for your own benefit and for your the benefit of your kids and your spouse and your friends and you know some people don't realize though that what they accept as facts about money is mm. actually just based their on own, their, their own, own view their yeah. own biases yeah. based on their yeah. own circumstances as a child or a young adult and really like some people you know people have the stock market is gambling is a, is a fact yep. that people spew that is You can't incorrect. go wrong with bricks and mortar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's yes, these, you definitely yeah. can. You yeah. definitely yeah, yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, look at the 08 crash. There's a lot of people that went wrong. With well, and the fact that most people look at the price of their property in nominal terms. Yeah, not real, real terms. terms. They understand the difference. Yeah, well, yeah. You sell your house, you buy next door. It's the exact yeah, same yeah, price. Exactly right. Price. Yeah. So it's like, it's getting people to realize that actually yeah. these these facts that they tell themselves about money are not facts and that their belief systems are wrong and people can understand that with other things in their life can't they they can understand that their diet is probably needs a bit of improvement yeah. but their attitudes towards money they they sometimes struggle with that do you how do you feel about people i think is it like a british thing saying that it's crude to talk about money you shouldn't really it's like not polite to, uh, to talk about money and like i think that's just in England, maybe other countries, but I feel it's mainly a British thing. How do you feel? Yeah, I think well, that also has an effect on it as I, well. I, I feel like that, but there's two different things here. There's I earn loads of money, oh, of course, right? Yeah. Which is definitely something. And whenever you meet people like that, you they're know, like, "What? Yeah, what a what a prick!" Right? I mean, like that, like that. But it's possible to talk about money and financial markets and all the stuff we're talking about yeah. it without it necessarily reflecting back on you trying to oh I'm really rich and I do you know like yeah. it doesn't have to be like that yeah. right and actually it goes back right to the beginning of this conversation you said what is you know being rich it's not a certain number of money it's not millions of pounds or it's freedom it's the it's to get to a point as you articulated of of having the freedom to take some time out to get to make choices about your life that make you happy, right? And that that's real wealth. But I think being able to talk freely about aspiring to be sorted financially, we should be a bit less encumbered by. I think. Well, that's exactly what we want to do here. And I think mm. you know, if we can just talk people through all the aspects of wealth, property, investing, give them that education, hopefully in in a detailed format with guests like yourself. And an understandable that, way. Yeah, that would be amazing. But I think I'd want to just sum up today really is that, you know, your message is that anyone really can become rich. And all that means is that they have a portfolio of assets or they have capital that supports yeah. them rather than needing to exchange, exchange their labor. time for labor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. because we're all going to get old one day and we're all going to get to a point where we don't want to do that anymore, yeah. let alone that we can't. So. Or, or even when you're quite young to have the, as you said, to have the freedom to make a change. To take risks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you heard it here. Anyone can get rich if you've got enough time, of course. Andrew suggests putting aside and investing 10% a month if you can afford it. But like Claire said in last week's episode, it can be as little as £5 a week. You just have to get started. You want to diversify. And this is what Andrew calls owning the world. And that can be as simple as investing in a global index fund. That's just one investment that you can buy off the shelf that then invests in lots of different companies all over the world. And that's exactly how I do it. If all of this is going over your head a bit, don't worry. In the next episode, we're going to explain what you need to know to get started with investing. But before you do any of that, you need to listen to our first episode with Claire Barrett, which is the one about your relationship with money. That's where you need to start. And if you want a summary of the key learnings and next steps, subscribe to our newsletter in the description below. I'm Damien Jordan, and I hosted this episode with my great mate, Tamena Karalay. 
The episode was recorded by Jack Hobbs and edited by Johnny Hunter. Music is by Felix Taylor. It was produced by Ruth Edwards and then all brought together by Will Stolomon. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.